Hello and welcome to the Green Majority Podcast. Quick announcement for this week is that I'm a complete liar about last week's announcement. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, Stefan and I had some dates that we then later moved and so I falsely said that last week was the last week for submissions on our uh, producer and volunteer applications. Uh, this is in fact the correct day is today. Well, technically it's going to be tomorrow at noon. So for clarity, today is Friday when we're recording this, Friday, January the 12th. Uh, Friday, uh, Saturday, January the 13th at noon is the last chance we're going to be accepting applications for uh, volunteers and for our producer position, uh, potentially positions, uh, depending on how that goes. Uh, I will once again, and for a final time, link uh, the the episode that talks about what it is we're looking for and how you can apply and all that information uh, at the top of today's post. So go to greenmajority.ca to look for that information if you're interested. Uh, it helps to be in Toronto, but you don't have to be. So if you have skills uh, that would uh, you think work, uh, or if you're just interested in helping out in other ways, please do go and check the post out. Other than that, check the website. You can do that at greenmajority.ca. And as well, if you just want to help us pay for this new uh, person, we are uh, we do have some uh, Patreon uh, members, but not enough currently to cover uh, what we would need to pay somebody to help us out. Uh, so if you uh, can't help, but you want to help out with that, uh, you can become a Green Majority member at Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Green Majority. We appreciate that very much. Check out the website, greenmajority.ca. And other than that, enjoy this week's program. Take care. You may notice that this is a different voice than it usually who welcomes people. You know, people do tell us they can't tell the difference between our voices, Stefan. Oh, then that's great. I'll just pretend that I that this is the same voice you always hear. <laughs> uh, of course, we are on broadcasting live on CIUT 89.5. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, perhaps you're listening to on one of our under, other wonderful radio syndicates, uh, or perhaps even on the podcast, which you can find on greenmajority.ca, as well, a whole bunch of information about if you hear something on the show and you wonder, where did that come from? It's all on greenmajority.ca, so you can check that out. I am in studio, uh, as always, uh, with Sam. Aaron Kester. Hello. Here for sarcastic comment. Pretty uh, much that's, uh, that's it this week. Yeah, that's that's your job. Yeah. Uh, also with uh, Dusha Sridharan from the Toronto Environmental Alliance. I was like, T, what does the E stand for? What kind of show is this again? <laughs> mm. um, and, and we're doing, uh, so the reason why this is my voice uh, that's introduced the show is because we're doing an entire show trying to answer one question. Hint, we're not going to. <laughs> uh, it's, but we will at least leave you with at least a bit more information and maybe you'll get, a, you'll, hopefully you'll learn a little bit, not only uh, about the topic, but about some more specific things that are going on in it's, the city. It's our attempt at doing a serial micro episode where yeah. we bring up a lot of questions and more than we answer. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, and that question is quite simply, can cities save us? So we are the, the way the show is going to work is we're going to open up, we're going to spend about 15, 20 minutes of the first part of the show talking about some of the ways that cities uh, globally 
have attempted uh, to combat climate change and 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 some of the, the, the benefits of that, some of the liabilities, some of the difficulties that they have. And then we're going to jump in uh, to a two-part interview uh, with Dusha surrounding the Toronto uh, Environmental Alliance's work with Transform TO and specifically using Transform TO as a case study for how cities can try to, climate, to combat climate change, but then also the, uh, the difficulties that surround um, even that kind of effort. And, and sort of where we are with the Transform TO plan and what we can do to hopefully uh, get the answer at least slightly closer to being yes, if cities can save us. So I, I, I get to tease this. The first story actually came up with this week. We, are, we already planned this show and then this news story dropped. So it's uh, as a perfect, perfect intro to the whole thing. Um, and it also lets me big, do my favorite chant of all time. Uh, so shout out to, I believe this was, I'm, I can't give credit. I, I heard it first. I'll say I heard it first with the uh, Toronto 350 group, uh, which is what do we want? Divestment. When do we want it? Gradually over five years, uh, which remains my favorite chant of all time. Uh, because the New York City has agreed or has made an intention to divest their $189 billion pension from fossil fuel companies in what timeline, you ask? Gradually over five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, no, I will say I heard that chant five years ago. So maybe nothing for five years. Then five years later, that would be great, would be the more accurate chant in this particular scenario. All at once now that it's five years later. Yes. <laughs> you spent your five years ineffectively. <laughs> Do it now, um, like every paper I've ever read. <laughs> uh, but no, this is this is huge news um, because interestingly, more often than not, when the story get when a story like this gets gets broke, the way they talk about it is the size of the pension, uh, like the full size of the pension, um, and then so it's always hard for me to figure out actually how much money is being removed from fossil fuels, uh, coffers, and or investments. And yet this one, the number was so big. If, Actual fossil fuel divestment that they that that was the lead number. So they, they didn't, the story wasn't that 189 billion dollar pension was being was being uh, was being reduced. It's that the five billion dollars that are directly currently invested in fossil fuel companies will be removed, which is which is huge. Like you know you know we've 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 talked for 20 minutes about stories where a five billion dollar pension fund has been removed. Uh, so the fact that five billion dollars is directly being removed is is massive. And this is coupled uh, with the fact that they're also suing uh, five fossil fuel companies. Uh, this is BP, ExxonMobil, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, and Shell uh, due to their contribution in clim- to climate change. And this is, again, pretty, 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 pretty remarkable news. And I will say that both of these... Um, both of these, both of the things they're doing, is actually somewhat rare and different from the way that most people think about how cities combat climate change. Uh, and and as the you know, conversation moves forward, we'll be talking mostly actually about sort of city-specific climate change plans rather than uh, something like this, which is really like this is them coming out in an entirely unprecedented way, um, or not, not entirely unprecedented, but a but a quite a quite a big and different way uh, than we are normally used to seeing these types of plans. Can I can I say something about the, the certainly thing? just because this is like the thing that always comes up and I just kind of want to nip it in the bud right at the start. Mm. Uh, so the response to well, someone else is just going to buy them that doesn't actually do anything. 
Um, it, I don't have a really great long answer for that, and maybe we can get into the more of that quickly. But like the aside from that not exactly being true math wise and how mm -hmm. markets work, there's also a lot of markets are based on trends. And we should, oh, if we had Tim on, f f you know, speed dial, we would call Tim right now. Right. But essentially, like even if someone else was to buy these, there the idea is that it's sort of pushing the market rate down. It's making you know markets are kind of like a herd of geese in the sense that if everybody starts bailing from somewhere, they, even if the other people don't know what's going on, it's kind of like well there might be a predator, right? Mm -hmm. That's sort of herd response, right? And so markets can operate very similarly. And so when lots and lots of people start divesting, yes, maybe someone else will buy them, but they'll buy them for like, they're not worth as much because that, oh, it makes that same thing. So like, there's a lot, I'm not saying that I'm doing a good job of explaining the right. market forces. I, what I'm trying to impress is that there's something other than did someone buy them is that's not the full story that right. there's the, it's we have to get into like impacts on markets and how they re relate with others and total investment and all this stuff. It's much more complicated. Right. Well, yeah. And just, and just, and quite simply, you're producing the market for a company's shares makes it harder to sell those shares. That's you know right. regardless of regardless of you know even if they're you know yes at this current moment it's sort of like saying one set of divestment doesn't work but if everyone divested it would work which is the truth and so someone has to start you know it's right. not like it's not like there's going to be you know no one is, and, and 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 the other thing about it is if it's consistently bought up by the same set of people like if the same organizations keep buying more and more and more fossil fuel stocks they are increasing their risk uh, right. to the inevitable disruption of the market that will come when we realize that there's a certain amount of stranded assets uh, sitting out there. So, right. And, and there's a huge difference between, you know, scenario A, quietly pull a billion dollars, uh, scenario B, very loudly pull a billion dollars and, and broadcast over all the mm. television and news stations that this is because this is a terrifyingly bad investment and that it's incredibly risky. And then on top of all that, scenario three, you do all that and then also sue them. Yeah. Um, you're you're creating a system where other people are at best going to be hesitant to pick up those stocks. Well, you're simultaneously right. saying I'm leaving your stocks and I'm devaluing your stocks yeah. because and we're I'm suing you. And I'm throwing a Molotov cocktail <laughs> yeah. over my shoulder while yeah, I do. Yeah, it. like this is yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty strong uh, action. So, can they save us? Uh, is 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 the is the question and to 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 move on to sort of the more common way people think about uh, cities and honestly the way that like every city in the world could sue fossil companies and that would be all oh, very that would probably honestly destroy and they should. yeah that would probably honestly destroy fossil companies just get from court battles alone but um, that's likely not going to happen uh, what's much more likely to happen is that they will hopefully um, slowly and or more actually more quickly at this point we waste in the same way that, that we wasted the five years we wasted the last 25 years uh, to implement these sort of actual plans to combat climate change and there's reason to believe they can um, you know in the United States 86% of the US population is in some form of urban center that's huge. 86% of the population in the United States is an urban center, which means that cities have a, like, the amount of energy being used is, by cities is, again, huge. And so the cities should, you'd think, have a pretty strong ability to change these sorts of things. And, 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 and they have. You know, there's, a, there's actually, this thing about cities is that mayors do often actually end up having a, um, uh, a stronger reaction to climate change. I think in part because they get the easy questions in some ways, um, I, which we'll get to in half a second. But the the thing about cities is that a lot of them, you know, there's some cities, a bunch of cities have gone to 100% renewable. Um, there's some incredible work in, in some cities like, you know, Vancouver's got doing some amazing things. Um, again, San Francisco and, and all these sort of places that are sort of more, you know, already are on the forefront of this kind of work already. And there's a lot of interesting things going on there. Um, however, 
they have some pretty serious jurisdictional issues when tackling climate change. And to understand emissions, you sort of need to understand how they're categorized, because this is really important. Because this basically is the if, if there's a reason to not if there's a reason to not believe that we can just ignore how the federal or provincial governments are are, are acting and focus on cities, it's because of the fa- uh, because of these jurisdictional and emission understanding problems. And so there's basically three types of emissions in in how people understand cities. There's scope one, scope two, and scope three. Uh, I sort of referenced this previously on the show, but I've never given exact definitions. And so I wanted to come back and give an exact definition of these three things. So scope one are emissions from sources under the direct control of the organization, such as furnaces, factories, and vehicles. So this is literally like how much energy does City Hall make? How much of this energy does City Hall and, and you know, in, in the police force and all the things that are directly municipal, how much do they, how much do they actually act on? And so that, obviously that is well within the purview of, of the municipal government. Like if anything that the, the, the municipal government has ability to do, it is, it is this. Two is, 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 is scope two, are emissions from electricity consumed by the organization, through emiss- though emissions may be produced elsewhere. Uh, or for, sorry, and so this is electricity, basically. You know, this is this is how much electricity these places use. Uh, this is how much all these other things use. Again, they have some control of the emissions here because they could reduce their electricity cost. Like they, they could they could improve their buildings. They could create build building codes. They could decrease the amount of electricity they're using. But they don't get to decide how the electricity is generated. So there. So that's the that's the difference here. So you know, you. It, New York doesn't. New York City doesn't get to choose really if all of New York State just built a bunch of coal plants. It, they wouldn't really get to decide that that was you know they're still sort of hamstrung by that fact. Um, you know, again, they could do things like they could start building solar panels in 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 the city. They could start doing stuff like that. But there's still a level of which this is a problem. And scope three is is everything else. Uh, there are emissions that are also called upstream emissions that are embodied emissions are, are associated with extraction, production, transportation of products or services used by the organization. And so this is like really, you know, this is the fossil fuels coming out of your car. You know, this is, this is, and it, within the city understanding, they sort of actually do that as like actually what the city itself is doing. It's, it's not just, it, this isn't just the city cars. This is like all cars in the city. This is, this is a much sort of a wider range of, of understanding this. And most, um, the, 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 the most of the, of the things that the city has control over are scope one and scope two. Most of the emissions are caused by scope three. Right. And, and this if, is the problem. If I can just give a quick sure. example. So uh, as you were saying, like, you know, scope one would be uh, all our local parks vehicles now have to be EV. Uh, scope two might be where is something like London's downtown driving tax, right. right? Where you it's something within the city's purview, depending on what city you're in, what world, how much power you have. Uh, but it's sort of like it's your internal or, you know, your citizens, but it's still sort of at that city scale and still largely has to do with like energy consuming uh, machines and electronics type things. So like still direct. It's still it's, it's still being caused by the city itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then scope three is 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 the people, basically. And so and so this is the and so this so understanding that difference is that most city plans can really only deal with scope one and scope two. Scope three interestingly ends up becoming largely and this is a discussion I think that we can sort of have at least a little bit with Transform TO and in moving forward, is 
Scope three can be affected by policy in that, you know, if you create better building standards, you can reduce your scope three. You can start incentivizing people to, say, not drive in the downtown core. Uh, you can start doing things that, that does decrease that kind of an, an, an impact, but that doesn't necessarily and doesn't effectively, uh, you don't actually have control over that, right? Like, you can, you can make policy that discourages action, but you can't actually force people to do stuff. Uh, and that is, the, that is the difficult that you have here, because... With um, with these cities, uh, and when you talk about like cities going 100% renewable, for for example, more often than not, that's not actually them building the infrastructure inside the city to be 100% renewable. Uh, in fact, I don't actually know of a city that's successfully done that specifically. You know, that level of renewable, which would be you know, let a, that they're not that they're actually within their city boundaries are creating enough energy uh, for their city, um, given that cities are you know energy. Sucks. That's would be insane. Um, but the, but from a standpoint of, uh, but usually what they do is they buy credits. You know, they they go out and they buy a bunch of credits. They spend a bit of money, uh, and then they're like, done, nailed it. It's sort of like when you buy a flight, you can buy an offset, which like sort of counts, I guess. And like you know, I like I, it's good to do, but at the same time, you're still actually creating the emissions. You're just you're just pulling it back. Um, One thing I can add on this, too, is the electric vehicle piece, right? They're really hoping to shift the market here in Ontario and Toronto. But when you look at a city like Toronto, you don't have a lot of effect in terms of how you can change that. But where they do see themselves playing a role, for example, is like installing, um, you know, electric charging stations or actually um, bringing in policies that will make a requirement for buildings. So there's policy levers that they mm -hmm. can definitely use to help it. But the market shift is really out of their control. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and I, I should jump in there because. Uh, and and just note that uh, uh, I haven't 100% confirmed what week it will be, but we do have Matthew Klippenstein, who's our, our local uh, EV Canada expert, coming in in the next few weeks as well. So we'll come back to that specific file as a deep dive soon, very soon. Yeah, and and exactly, and so and so that's the kind of thing. And what's interesting even about that thing is that if you know if it happens that Ontario's energy happens to be very very uh, uh, green, in part because we got lucky of, of where we are, you know, that the amount of hydro we get is basically you know is a give is a gimme to to us, and so we don't rely on a lot of coal. But a, a, an action that really, but there's a an action that sort of massively increased uh, energy electric, electricity use, which would be switching to EV vehicles, is only effective depending on how green the energy is, which the cities also don't have control over. You know, like if, if Ontario went flip his script and was like, actually we're going to build a ton of coal plants, then the, the impact of going off full EV dramatically decreases. Um, and so that's all, these are the problems that these sort of, that these, that these, that these cities have. And what's interesting is that what we see and the difficulty that some cities are having is what we see and what's what makes me somewhat skeptical about the concept that cities can can truly save us uh, is that they aren't really taking up those fights the, the cities are doing again the easy things they're going 100% renewable because all that is is they go out and they buy slightly more expensive electricity and at this point maybe not even that given how cheap renewable energy can be and they're like we did it like Toronto does it almost by accident like, like really, there's, there's, you know, a couple natural gas plants in Ontario uh, are, are the last real fossil fuel based thing. So if you want to be, on, you want to be, you know, again, I won't get into the nuclear issue right now, but like the 
carbon spent on electricity in, in, in Ontario is quite low. Mm-hmm. And so like Ontario basically gets that one as a gimme, but, but so we can't really, so claiming it as a success might make us feel good, but it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, well, but at the same time, when the city then refuses, say, to enact, you know, a standard of, of building houses that are that are able to be more sustainable and and, and, and stop the and stop the absolutely ridiculous way we do development, you know, like the the, fa- the fact that the amount that our city is still resp- still requires money from developers and how much money we make from sort of housing development on our on our exurbs at this point is is inherently unsustainable. And the, and, the, and and they're not and the, it's not like these, these new buildings are these new like specifically specifically residential buildings are being built well. You know, it's right. like we, mm-hmm. Toronto actually does have, and it's interesting, Toronto has very good standards for some parts of buildings and in very bands of other parts of buildings and it's entirely because of what was easy, what was hard. Mm. You know, the, there's a fascinating uh, way that they that one of the condos, I believe condos actually have a pretty strong building standard here and that was entirely because the Toronto Atmospheric Fund went depends to... depends who you're comparing it to, right. by the way, but... But the Toronto Civic Fund went to went to went to uh, one of the major condo developers in the city. Uh, basically, told them that they would that they would pay them uh, or they would guarantee X amount of money if they built the most the the, the best sort of energy efficient building they could uh, or condo they could. And they went out and they did it. Uh, and then they turned around and were like, "Hey, city, look, it can be done. Uh, we should we should make this the standard now." Um, and then and that actually worked and they that became the standard and then because Toronto had the standard that became the Ontario standard and so what we're we're seeing is that it's doable but it requires it seems that it's it's, um, it's rare to see a city that is actually sort of taking going out of its way and taking sort of some risks to actually get there um, and putting money behind it uh, as we'll see in the in the next two sections how hard it is to get cities to actually put money behind their plans let alone just get themselves sort of uh, you know pats on the back for having a plan and you know because everyone gets to say oh look great it's great to have a plan but we're not going to raise your taxes so it's not actually going to happen we're just going to talk about we have a plan for 20 years um, and again we've sort of wasted those 20 years uh, <laughs> that, that in 1990 we might have could have talked about that now is a lot more difficult well, and the part of the reason there's such a good opportunity with uh, legislating building standards and and also the answer as to why this has not been done yet uh, is because if you've ever lived in Toronto or another major city, you might have noticed that uh, the quality of the place that you're renting, its building standards, its energy efficiency, all this stuff has absolutely nothing to do with the price that you're paying for it. Right. And so it has to do with a number of other factors, but it's not, you know, oh, the, this our apartment's 1700 a month instead of 1200 a month because that is really efficient windows. That's not how it works. And so what happens is that uh, there is a disincentive to put that money in because uh, they can't recoup it later. The price of the place has nothing to do with those investments. And so the only person who has anything to gain or lose is the original developer who's not the operator. Right. right? So the person who builds the building is not the person who reaps any savings from any energy efficiency. They're not the person who can reclaim those then savings from the person. It's a sale between a builder and an operator. And so... There is no incentive for them. There is literally no incentive. Like, you'd have to be stupid if you were in their position, which is why legislation is the only way to go forward on that. Uh, and it will not, and before any, you know, someone tries to conjure any boogeyman, it will not uh, triple the price of apartments in Toronto. First of all, it couldn't because now instead of 10, 7%, you'd have 80% on a uh, uh, houselessness. Right. Um, but also that that has nothing to do with that. That's not how pricing is done. And so it, what it would simply do is it would make uh, building buildings less, the builder position in that uh, equation less profitable 
um, but it's not going to make it zero. And so uh, the real reason why that hasn't happened is because those builders have a lot of influence. They have a lot of power, um, and and that was especially actually, through the OMB and a number yeah. of other things. But like that's that's one of those things where, oh, if it was that easy, it would be done already. No, and that's why. Right. And, and, and actually, <laughs> and that, it is that easy outside of that power that was, issue. Yeah, that was literally what TAF actually was doing, was that they were finding a way to have the condo buyers actually, from the energy savings they would receive 20 years in the future, sort of pay back that money sort of ahead of time. And that was sort of the system that they set up to actually make this possible. One of the solutions to some other cities, I think it's Portland, um, is actually energy listings at the point of sale of a home. And if you think about the housing market we have right now, that's something people have no idea of. And people are moving into older homes. You know, they're they're thinking about, oh, it looks great. They've redone the kitchen. But where do you stand on an energy e efficiency standpoint? And what are your utility bills going to be like, right? right yeah, and th costs. those costs are going up. So I think that's one easy way right now, because, I mean, new build is one category, but then you have so many existing buildings that you need to tackle as well so that's actually a great policy lever we could see right here in toronto where they would have control to make that change yeah yeah exactly and so with with that as a great segue uh we're gonna come back uh with dramatically more dusha uh <laughs> <laughs> which is also the name of the, i like that as a title for something if you ever do anything <laughs> dramatically more dusha is what we're gonna come up with uh but we'll go to a music break and we'll be right back to talk about transform to which is sort of toronto's policy and plan and what we can do with it uh take it away megan Okay, so for our first music break, we have Marie Pierre Arthur. And we are back on the Green Majority. This is you're listening live on CIUT 89.5, or perhaps on wonderful, wonderful, wonderful radio syndicates. Uh, that's three wonderfuls, in case mm -hmm. you're wondering. Uh, or on our website uh, through our podcast, which is greenmajority.ca. And we are here uh, with Dusha from T, and we're talking Transform TO as a as a sort of microcosm of of, of, of city policy um, and the good in it and also the, the, the difficulties that come through it. So let's start with this. Can you explain, Dusha, just quickly what uh, Transform TO is uh, and, you know, why, like, why do we even, I don't need you to answer why we need climate policy. I'm going to presume everyone listening to the show has figured that part out. Um, or at least go back and listen to episode one. <laughs> you have 570 to go through. We'll find you in March and then listen to this show. March would be impressive. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, it's, I'm I'm literally thinking that they listen to every show in a row. That's 570 hours of content. <laughs> uh, at that point, you'll hate us. And yeah. therefore, maybe don't do that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, what is Transform to you? Sure. So, um, in 2015, the city of Toronto was actually thinking about creating a new climate change plan. And it's not because we, we already actually had a plan in place, but this was really to come up with the concrete actions we need to take to get to our big reduction target of 80% by 2050. And that's actually meeting international commitments we've made. I mean, the national government for Canada of Canada has made that commitment as well. But cities knew that, you know, we've, we were part of C40 under uh, Mayor Miller, and we still are, but that was something we really championed. And so the beginning beginning of this plan was really to talk about what actions we need to get take to get to those reductions but also think about like how to implement this plan in a way so that it's actually helping us tackle other priority issues in the city as well Cool. So can you just give a, sense, a quick overview on the types of things that, that are included? So the three biggest sources of emissions in our city gives you the breakdown. Um, the highest one is buildings, and that's really heating our homes with natural gas. Uh, transportation is the next category, and that one's actually on the rise in terms of emissions. And then the third one, which is about 12%, um, is waste. And that's really organics that end up in landfill. Um, so those are the three categories. So most of the policies are looking at ways to address those things. So for buildings, you know, it's really about retro 
retrofits. It's about improving new construction standards, as we were mentioning. Um, for transportation, how to green our fleet, um, how to bring electric vehicles into the market share overall. Um, and then in terms of waste, it's really about getting those organics into the green bin and actually composted properly because we actually produce um, renewable natural gas through anaerobic digesters here in the city. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. Uh, okay, and you sort of you hinted at this uh, mm-hmm. with the with open description, um, but the transform to as as climate policy is was when it came out was actually it was lauded in it because it was comprehensive. You know, it, it sort of it took a it it wasn't just a climate policy. It it really tried to be like okay, let's actually rethink dramatically rethink what a city what, what the city does. You know, it, it, it is you know not to say that this is a radical set of actions but but it, I think it, what it was interesting about it and it was it it didn't just say things like put solar panels on roofs uh, it was more it, it looked deeper at some sort of a wider sort of city existence and it's like how can we make the city better through climate policy you talk about how sort of what makes it like how does it do that and, and what does it make it what makes this unique in in climate policy sure I mean I have to give credit in two ways one to the city for being open to taking that approach so staff were really championing that but then also community representatives for helping shape that and saying you know we can't take climate solutions that are actually going to exacerbate some of the problems we have in our city so if low-income tenants are going to be impacted by rising energy bills that's not a win for us so what the plan really does is says, okay, you know, for example, 327,000 job years are going to be created through the lifespan of this plan if all of the actions are implemented. But who gets those jobs? How do we bring people who are facing barriers to employment to to actually um, profit from some of the green changes that we're making. Similarly, um, if you're doing retrofits in the city, how do you prioritize who needs those retrofits first? Um, Do we really want to go into homeowners who own their own home and are you know could afford to do some of those changes on their own or should we be looking at Toronto community housing units um, thousands of them are about to close if we don't actually get the money to do those retrofits so there was these opportunities like that where it said okay if we had certain principles to look at how do we protect people who are vulnerable how do we actually make sure that we're reducing poverty through the implementation of the plan we're going to achieve multiple wins yeah uh, great and, and so that's that sort of multiple win piece. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. They call it co-benefits in the in the, in the plan itself. Um, and so, I find it helpful again since this is a this is a I'm using transform to as a microcosm for city planning. And generally, uh, perhaps we could use one of these co-benefits as a microcosm for the sort of the plan in general. Uh, so you tell me about one of the policies. So I pick a, any one, maybe your favorite or one that's the most compelling or interesting as you like, uh, and talk about sort of. Example, an example of, of the sort of, you know, what kind of co-benefit can we get from a green action and, and how does that sort of raise all boats? Sure. So one of the things I've really been pushing through for my work is actually um, retrofits, um, especially on affordable housing units. And like I mentioned, you know, there is multiple wins from that in the in this perspective of one, it's improving quality of life for low income residents. For a lot of people, there's been news and coverage. You know, Acorn has had rallies where people have come out saying, you know, it's freezing in my home. There isn't insulation like it is actually affecting them directly that way. So we know that there's like clear fixes like that, but it also helps reduce their energy bills and then when you talk about okay well we're going to go into units and actually do the repairs make these units more energy efficient who gets those jobs there's some great social enterprises right here in Toronto like building up if you've heard of their work Um, they're fantastic they actually hire people from uh, low incomes who are facing barriers to employment train them up give them life skills to actually start careers in the trades and the 
it can become apprentice apprenticeships that can turn into like lifelong union jobs, which is fantastic. Yeah, actually, to, to, to jump up building up because um, they actually you know they worked out of the Center for Social Innovation for a while, which is also where Sarah and I both work. Um, and they they actually we hired them to do some retrofits on on the new building that we're moving into. Um, what what they do specifically is 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 they they have a I think they started on a niche they might have expanded but they originally were just doing toilets it was mm -hmm. I remember when I first met uh, Mark who started building up he was just like all I do is replace toilets I was like okay all right go on um, and and they replace toilets and in the water savings from replacing toilets um, goes back they get paid by the water savings basically you get upfront paid by the water savings and they yeah, they hire people I think his original plan was to hire people who actually lived in the community itself it wasn't just that was my friend it wasn't even just you know people facing barriers it was if I'm gonna be fixing this set of public housing units I want to hire people from that exact space to really sort of build in to, to, to keep the the sort of the the benefits very hyper local, which I think is something that really gets to be able to do some some really impressive work, um, and so yeah, so that's like, so there, that's an example of that's actually three things, right? I guess that's what makes my special interesting, right? You're, you're ensuring that you are uh, that you are you're reducing energy costs, you are providing jobs to people who need jobs, and you're also uh, improving the living conditions of, of the people and it's all in a building that the city of the city actually has control over which is huge right it's not this is not a policy that can that's not a policy that say is just asking homeowners like a lot of the policies we see in uh, federally and provincially is like we can give you a tax credit if you do all these things and then you sort of go out and you try to do all the things and then maybe you succeed and maybe you don't and get some money back um, but that is that's the best they got whereas here it's like no we own all these buildings we have we have to keep up maintain them we can maintain them in this way to improve them we should do that um and so and so this so what's funny about this is that like when you hear something like that you're like well it's a win-win-win why why aren't we doing that <laughs> um is is the, sort of the obvious question afterwards what are sort of the barriers uh that 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 we'll say the transform to generally has faced in coming into action sure so um the plan in July, when council actually voted on it, had unanimous support. So every single councillor supported it, and we were like, this is great. We love plans. <laughs> we love plans. Yeah. So we're seeing, I mean, I'm going to be honest, there's an emerging pattern at this council where they, they support these big, bold plans, and they're like, oh, we think this is such a fantastic idea. And then it comes time for budget, and there's no mention of the plan. So this year, when we actually opened up the budget um, in December to take a look and see where it was, there's this list called new programs enhancements and not included in the funding and I was like oh, what is this and all of the transform TO actions are listed there and that's 2.5 million dollars worth of actions and none of them are guaranteed funding in the 2018 budget and so there's just a problematic way of you know how they've pos positioned things um, and you know, flashing back to last year, as part of the 2017 budget, there was supposed to be a $1.6 million investment. And originally it was, they had proposed zero and we got it up to $333,000, but we lost that vote by two votes. So to give you the picture, it's like they're coming out, they're saying, yeah, we totally support this. And there's lots of media interviews where you'll find, find the mayor and other councillors saying, oh, we're, you know, we're completely behind this. And then when it comes time for voting and putting the money where their mouth is, yeah. it's not it's coming not there. Yeah, and this yeah. is this is the thing about I, this, this is the thing that I find so difficult uh, with 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 government generally, but especially with this type of thing in which in any in any other scenario, you know, like if my boss came to me and was like, "We're gonna do this," 
uh, this is our plan, and then you have zero dollars to do it, I would be like, that's impossible. <laughs> uh, you at least have to pay my salary. So at the, <laughs> even the base level, you have to pay some money to do this thing. This is not a plan unless you put money behind it. And yet, it it yet it seems to be relatively consistent that this is something that is done. You know that that we can we can say things. And I and I want to go back to the fact that like, if you are the mayor, and you support a plan that you have no intention in funding. Mm-hmm. How do you defend that? How do you defend how do you defend the concept that you have that you have a plan in place uh, and yet you are doing none of the things to get it done? Like I don't I, I just it's and yet and I feel like it's hard to hold counselors and in the mayor uh, to task for something like this because they're able to sort of they because there's not one interview, right? There's one interview. There's like as long as they can avoid talking about this during budget time, then they can get all the benefits of saying we have a plan, and then still get to the budget. Be like, and we refuse to raise any taxes again, and so we're actually cutting everything because we have to because of inflation. And it's just sort of like, have you seen? So, what kind of strategies uh, have have sort of counselors been using to say avoid this, um, and then and then and then and then further sort of like. And then, and then what, 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 what sort of, what are we doing now um, to try to, again, we'll, we'll jump in this in the, in the third second, but maybe tease sort of that, that little bit for us. Sure. So um, for us right now, one of the things is counselors and the mayor have come out saying, yes, we do want to see it funded. But the difference is full funding versus partial funding. Like I mentioned before, last year we saw, saw a portion of the funding and they still celebrated that as a victory. Right. So they're still able to say, yeah, we passed this plan unanimously and we funded it. So you'll see these, you know, they're right, very right. selective with their language about right. how they say things. So that that's a big challenge for us. And it's not just on Transform TO. What's worrisome is, you know, the poverty reduction strategy, um, creating an uh, Indigenous Affairs Office for Toronto. These are all things that are also listed where commitments made by Council and have no guaranteed funding this year. Yeah. Well, when it gets to election time, you get to say, vote for me, I voted for Transform TO, and vote for me, I lowered your taxes. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to connect those two things because no one will ask. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the, that's the struggle, right, is trying to trying to get to that place where we can be like, okay. And and, and, the, and what's interesting is, is in, in very small moments, we do see a break in, in that type of thing. You know, like I, I think the example of... Um, of the amount of work that was sort of done by by activists over the the, the housing, uh, the homelessness issue, and the number of beds available to people, which which reached a crisis point specifically because it got so cold, but it but you know there were counselors. I think one of the counselors said something along the lines of, of "You can't fix this overnight," and then someone's response was, "Yeah, that's because you've spent ten years creating the problem. Mm-hmm. So if, yes, of course you can't fix it overnight, but you have been in power for ten years." People have been saying this is a problem over and over again, and then now you've gotten to a place where yes, this is a problem. You can't fix it. And let me just add to that. I mean, the shelter example is another thing of like a Band-Aid solution, right? Shelters are just taking people off the streets temporarily. And one of the things uh, one of the counselors pointed out was a shelter bed costs $26,000 a year per one bed just to operate it. So if you think of the cost of affordable housing, we're talking about a system problem, right? We, we don't need to get people off the street for one night. We need to get them into proper homes for the year. And you could probably do it in a lot more of an affordable way <laughs> well, sure. if they yeah. thought there that was, through. I, I, I can't from memory tell you the city but there we did talk about a story recently but it was somewhere uh in the uh northwest of canada let's say and maybe it was like yellow knife or something like that and um and it was a relatively speaking i don't know if he was self-identified politically but like relatively speaking conservative mayor uh and that he was like outvoted by their city council to per- just simply just provide housing here is a house you now own this house 
it's not a great house, but you just now own a house. And they, I don't remember exactly if that's exactly how it worked. But the point is, is that this mayor was super against it. Like, uh, why do we want it? We don't want to give these people houses. We should just feed them and they can pull, you know, bootstraps and all that nonsense. Uh, and then like six months later, the bill was they were saving money hand over fist because it was way cheaper to just give these people houses and, and allow them to be self-sufficient than it was to provide all the backup services of all the emergency services and the alcohol services and the job services. And like, okay, we're just going to give you a house. And it was dramatically cheaper. And he, he came out and did a unprovoked news conference saying, I'm so happy that I was wrong. It turns out this is a great idea. Um, and you'll find that that's a Canadian example, but you'll find that all over the world. It is actually just simply cheaper to just give people the things they need so that they can fix their own lives. You know, it's all well and good to say, you know, you should be self-responsibility and all that. And I agree, but there's a minimum, there's a minimum requirement of resources that people need to be able to do that. And we have to just provide it for them. And it's not even an environment conversation at this point. It's a human rights conversation. And it's a finance conversation it's cheaper well and, and i think that's the part that i think that's the part that that the sort of conservative argument ignores which is that there's always an element in that sort of argument that that i don't want to give them something because i just don't i just don't feel like they deserve it yeah. and, it, and, and and you can't convince anyone that it is in that point it's not it, they, they hide behind fiscal responsibility but accept more expensive solutions because they just don't feel like people deserve it yeah. you know it's yeah. it's it's the it's same right thing up about there the with States. small government but i want to be in your bedroom right yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's like or, you know, <laughs> or, the, or the united states united states healthcare right they've decided like everywhere else that does not do it the way they do it has it cheaper but they just refuse the concept that maybe that, that any option because deep down it really does I think come from something that they don't deserve it. Uh, we're getting off topic, so um, right wingers getting yes. between you and your pillows since <laughs> 1585. Uh, the Green Majority, we get off topic. Uh, so we're gonna go occasionally back, off topic. Occasionally off topic. We go. um, we're gonna so we're gonna come. We're gonna go to music break again. We're gonna come back and actually sort of talk about actually exactly where the plan stands now and get into sort of what we can do uh, here in the city as all, but then also sort of taking that as understanding of what we can do everywhere to actually try to force action on this very important issue. And if that's not enough, I have at least three more sarcastic comments. Great. All right, keep listening. Stick this around. is the Green Majority on CAT and 9.5. Megan, what we listen to? So next up we have Charlotte Day Wilson. This is After All. And welcome back to the Green Majority on CAUT 89.5 FM. You're listening live on Friday, January 12th, or alternatively on one of our radio syndicates, uh, not on Friday, January 12th, <laughs> or on our podcast literally any time after Friday, January 12th. This could be this could be this could be still Friday, January 12th in like 30 years, presuming the Hello internet still exists. From the past. Um, and we haven't exactly yeah. Did we do it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone? Uh, let us know. Um, okay, so we're back here uh, with Dusha Sarutharan from T, the Toronto Environment Alliance, talking about Transform TO and what what cities can do to fight climate change. And so let's let's look at let's get to the nitty gritty. Where does Transform TO stand right now? Okay, so last year we were delayed, so only three of the 11 actions were implemented. That means this year there's a reduced ask. They're only asking in the budget for $2.5 million to implement Transform TO. But when you look at the full budget, there's actually $40 million worth of unfunded actions. That includes the pieces like the poverty reduction strategy, um, crossing guards, um, <laughs> daycare spaces. Yeah, it is everything. And then all of the actions related to Transform TO are on there as well. So 
so for us, um, we know we need to really push council to make sure that the Transform TO piece is funded. But we're not going to, we don't want to pit ourselves against other activists. That's not the goal here. These issues are all interconnected. If you're not investing in the poverty reduction strategy or you're failing to fund the low-income transit rider pass, I'm sorry, that's a failure on climate action as well. So we're, we're working with um, Commitment to Community, another coalition here in Toronto that's looking at these issues all together to make sure that the city here is loud and clear. You need to fund all these things and find the resources to do it. Mm. And, and so obvious follow up. How do we do that? Sure. So um, the key thing is people need to talk to their councillors and the mayor. Um, we saw this last year. There were, you know, when we, we usually will count votes ahead of time and think here are the people we think will vote for this plan and here are the people we're not so sure about. We actually met with so many of them. A lot of residents called them, sent letters, emails, deputed in front of council. The deputation period just closed, but there's still lots of ways that you can take action. There's a lot of great groups that are active in, um, in Toronto. So, um, we are hosting an action on our website where um, it's torontoenvironment.org where people can send a letter directly to the mayor, the budget chief and their counselor saying, you know, you need to fully fund this. But then there's also others who are doing similar actions. But one of the most powerful things you can do is just give them a call. And you don't need to be an expert on an issue to talk to your counselor. Like one of the best things I've heard from someone, you know, who's involved um, in climate organizing has said, you're the boss. They work for you. <laughs> right. you. It's your money that's paying for this. So keep that in mind. And you don't need to be an expert. You just are supposed to tell them this is what I think you should do. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm your constituent. I will decide in this elections coming up if I vote for you. And I want you to do this thing. And this is the last budget before the election. Right. So yeah. this is like it's this is the time to do it. It's not a test phone call, you know, phone rings, you just say, hi, I'm one of your constituents, I'm really concerned about this issue, and I'm going to be thinking about your actions on this issue when I go to vote the next time. You don't have to literally say anything about policy specifics, you don't have to know anything about climate change, you don't even necessarily have to know what's in the Transform TO plan. Yeah. What they want to know is that you're paying attention to what they do on that topic, and you don't, they may ask you some questions, but you don't need to be specific, all they need to know is, here's someone who could be a voter of mine who it's mine to lose, yeah, and they're right. going to be watching it like this. The most important message, there's really only two things that need to happen on the call. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm in, here's the topic I'm interested in, and I'm going to be using your I'm going to be watching your actions and using your actions on that topic when I consider voting for you in the future. Mm -hmm. And then you hang up the phone. That is the <laughs> end of the call. That's all they need to like that's all they need to know. Right. right. And, and yeah, and yeah, and they're not gonna yeah, it's not like I, I like I like the idea of me calling up my counselor and then being like, So how much do you know about this? <laughs> it's like it like this they're not going to. They, well they they're very they're very likely gonna say something like you know, whether or not it's you know how true it is they're likely going to say something about well oh well were you aware because they're going to try and win you over right so uh, on the right. spot so they're going to try and say well you were you aware that i voted this way on this other thing and you'd be that's like yeah, yeah yeah that's all well and fine right. i just wanted you to know that right. i'm watching yeah. yeah that's all the phone call has to yeah. be yeah uh so and so that's 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 one form of municipal lobbying and sort of pushing this and i think the you know the, this concept of funding has been ongoing and that you know the mayor has basically refused to raise any revenues whatsoever uh i love the idea of running i love the idea that that of the politicians constantly talking about running running the government like a business and then refusing to raise revenue that's the first thing you do as a business <laughs> that's number one thing as business is make more money is the solution to things that's the entire point of businesses but somehow when you run government like a business you are not allowed to raise revenue right. um but but from the standpoint of like you know again like all what we're saying here is is is, is true in that uh, it, it's not it's uncommon i think that people 
like I'd be interested to know what percentage of Torontonians have talked to their counselor in the last four years. You know, and it's almost certainly low, which means that if you do it, your 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 voice matters dramatically more. Right. Uh, you know, there's that conversation, and and we saw the power of of sort of individual action with in, within the United States stopping what really everyone figured would be an easy let's get rid of the, the, the health care bill move. And yet people stood up and actually flipped a couple Republican senators in that sort of fashion. So we've seen this ha- happen. But in a municipal level, what does municipal lobbying look like? I mean, I'll give you a recent example. They wanted to privatize Toronto Hydro just like last, mm. like last year, two years ago. And that was you know, people knocking on doors, talking to people in community saying, you know, this is what the kind of impacts it could be. And so something like that is really important. A public utility is something that's so important when you think about how much we're going to rely on our electricity grid um, going forward as we move towards like electric vehicles mm-hmm. and even possibly electric heating and stuff too. So these are the kinds of things where like counselors hearing from them directly makes an impact. And one of the climate examples I can give you, which was amazing, um, at the Parks and Environment Committee last year when Transform TO was being discussed and before the plan was actually fully passed, they had a class of grade three students come in and talk to the counselors about how important it was. And I'm telling you, it makes it a lot more challenging for them right. to say no when there's these cute little faces talking <laughs> about, and they were really doom and gloom. They were like, if you don't fix the world, we're all going to die. Like they were really, <laughs> It was great. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a way for a lot of people to get involved, and there's lots of different events. And if I mean, for some people, you might still feel nervous to go meet with your counselor. Mm. There's easy ways, and plus, there's a lot of other groups you can reach out to, like T, like Climate Fast, who are doing this work, and they'd be happy to walk you through it and give you some talking points. Yeah, yeah. And and if you and obviously you said the deputation for this particular, I think it's closed, but there are, there are deputation trainings even being run uh, that if you keep an eye out for, they you know, and they, and they were quite packed actually, which is interesting. And so I think, especially given that. This uh, this year, you know, given that it's this year and this year is both a pretty big important time for these elections, but also an election year is is really the, the the impact I think of 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 lobbying this particular year is perhaps two or threefold that might normally be. You know, if this is if they just got elected, then they can sort of figure you'll forget about it four years later. But they now it's a much it's a much shorter timeline of being remembered, right? You have four months or you're out, mm-hmm. uh, and so and so it's a really good point in time to do this. And so we have about ten minutes left. Uh, so a bit, bit of we can open up to a slightly larger discussion, but let's start with how people can sort of help uh, in in this in in this particular instance within Transform TO. How can people get action, uh, and how can people in Toronto uh, try to get us get this? You know, we have a great plan. Let's get it funded. So there's a few different groups that you can look at. There's going to be different um, points for people to engage. One, look at the Toronto Environmental Alliance's website. We'll have a number of actions ramping up before they actually vote on the budget, which is on February 12th to the 14th. That's when council votes. Um, And other groups like C2C, the Commitment to Community Coalition, they have things that tell you, here are the 10 things that need to be funded in the 2018 budget. So if you're looking for resources, you're looking for talking points, that's where you're going to get them. Um, But I think for people right now, now, the big focus should be calling, emailing, writing a letter to your local counselor, the mayor, and then reaching out to others. Talk to someone in your community because you'll quickly find that a lot of people think the same way as you do um, and that there's more than one issue in this budget that's going to be affected. So mm. people, you know, you're going to find out that there's a lot of intersection between these things. Yeah. And, and especially from the standpoint of, of, of revenue tools, mm-hmm. uh, can you, like that to me seems to be something that like is, is a hard thing to talk about because no one agrees on how we should make more money uh but also is is really quite simply without more money uh th- th- there isn't a real lane like you're really you're, you're stuck a little bit right 
Yeah. So one of the interesting thing was things was that uh, quite a few people who deputed actually said in their deputations in front of the budget committee, and I support you increasing my property taxes. Mm. So for them to hear that and saying like I as a resident am in support of this because I think these services are important, it makes it easier for them to take that kind of action. And with it being an election year, they need to know where people stand. So I think the more vocal we are, you know, between now and up to election, mm-hmm. um, about how we want to see these programs have to be funded we can't continue to go through these kinds of like austerity budgets year after year so and like it's priority issues think about the things that are funded like we're funding a one-stop subway right and we're funding the gardener redevelopment and these are things that staff advised against yeah. so i mean it's really about the, they find ways to make the things they think people care about happen so it's just that we have to be more vocal because if you think about it lobbyists are there meeting with counselors on a daily basis mm-hmm. right big business like they pay people to do this so unless they hear from community those are the only opinions they're going to hear right mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think, so to, to take sort of that as a, as a microcosm to city, so we, we can sort of circle back for the last eight minutes to talk about sort of city planning more generally and, 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 more, and more widely. The, the Transform TO is, is a kind of a perfect example of, okay, we've gotten this far. And I think it, it is an example, I think, actually, of where we exist in the, um, in the climate debate more generally is that we've gotten to a point where we're no longer, we've moved past the very first part, which was like climate change exists. That was like, that was like hurdle one. Does climate change exist to not climate change exist? And I think now, at least in Canada, you know, even, you know, even the, the more conservative leaders are generally accepting of, of climate change, you know, um, and so, or at least they, they can't pretend it doesn't exist. Um, and so we've, that, that debate has left and we're now, now we're on the debate of, okay, well, what should we do about it? Uh, and, and you get a wide range from, I'm just going to say it exists and say that's enough to, I'm going to say it exists and that we should do something, uh, but not enough, uh, to actual action. And the transform TO I think is an example of actual action. Uh, but being run by a set of people who are definitely in the earlier camps, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a standpoint of which we're seeing that it is now in vogue as a more conservative, uh, approach to come up with a plan, say you have a plan, but make it just not, make, make it in, untenable to actually implement. So in this case, they're not funding it, but there's other versions of the same sort of thing where it's like, oh no, we have an idea, but we're all, but you know, it's, but it's, it's very difficult so it's to work through a system forever or, you know, like true, even honestly, even the liberals in Trudeau's work on pipelines, which is like, we still have to let some pipelines through is sort of like, not if you understand the timelines that we're working on, but sure, I guess you still accept it and you're doing something. So all right, at least it's something, right? And so I feel like this transform TO is an example of the new kind of denial, which is which is a which is a quiet which is not which is not direct denial, but it's almost more insidious. Oh, it's absolutely worse. I'll, and I'll give you one example of this that really just frustrated me. Last year when we had the, the floods in Toronto Islands, mm. there was rain, and they were considering a bill to put a separate stormwater charge in Toronto. And the same week, right after the floods, the same week following, they actually shelved that that plan and so this was after I mean and this is resources right they're putting staff time and money and resources coming up with a plan like this and then counselors are like oh no not another tax we don't want to do that so let's just shelve that and so you're like we just had floods. We just paid $7 million in flood damage and actually uh, I think it was Councillor 
one of the counselors was out recently talking, I think it was Counselor Fletcher, was out talking about how there's still damage from that storm and we don't have money in the 2018 budget now oh, to wow. deal with it. Yeah. So when you're talking about, I mean, like sometimes with climate change, people are like, oh, well, you know, it's future impacts. We don't really see it. No, you're seeing the impacts. You can see them very clearly in our city. We had days in October that were heat alerts this right. year, right? And, in 2017. Right. And not to mention how yeah. cold it just was, right? Yeah. Like, like that's the thing, right? Is that we are- How cold it just was and then now today it's 11 degrees. And tomorrow it's going to be negative 11, be negative right? 11. There's just, it's, you know, as far, again, you can't, every, you can't make weather into climate change. Yeah, sure. But also we are living in a climate changed world. Every one of these things is an example. And it, that's the thing is like, even something like that, the, the stormwater uh, um, or, uh, change, is a it's still a cognitive it's still it's it still proved or shows a cognitive dissonance of actually what we were doing before was still okay i just have to say a different thing now versus no actually different thing is required uh or, or i or the world that i live in it's it's i think it still shows a a cognitive dissonance from the world that like that 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 the counselors sort of against these type of actions live in versus the the world that we do live in because like it's not just like because even with the, the floods to stormwater that's not just saying they could have prevented this one it's, this will happen again and it caught like and it's going to cost us another seven ten fifteen million dollars to fix and this is a this is a you know one two million dollar plan and yet the idea that like so we're going to keep expanding the sort of budget we have for ensuring the fact that, that, that the fixing the thing without ever doing the preventative work in the end. The same thing that Houston, after Hurricane, I think it was Ike, in about 10, 15 years ago, there was a whole study that came out that was like, Houston is massively, massively, massively in danger of another hurricane. If a hurricane hits Houston effectively, it will devastate us. And the city was like, uh-huh. And they had a pl and then they made a plan, and then they didn't fund it. And then they got hit by another hurricane. And crazily, that hurricane that got hit by still wasn't the actual, still was not the worst case scenario. There's a, and, and yet still the same thing, right? It's like, you know, and now after this hurricane, there's going to be, I'm sure, another talk, another plan. And yet, will they do anything? I don't know. Uh, so we have about two minutes left in the show. Uh, so we just get a chance to, to, to give to you, Dusha, to sort of, uh, what would you say? You got, you got two minutes to speak to the the city of Toronto and anyone else who listens to the show. Uh, I'm going to pretend the whole city of Toronto listens to the show, um, and, and not thousands of people not in Toronto. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, this is a good time to let people know this is this is going to be a mostly Toronto centric show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For this episode specifically. Yeah. Uh, all the folks who listen who apparently listen to not, to the show from Nottingham on SoundCloud. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed Transform Geo. Um, uh, but yeah. So what what can we what, what what do you got? I mean, the key thing is I think people I. I don't want people to feel discouraged. I mm. think passing of the plan is fantastic. This is a great plan. I mean, community stands behind it. A lot of people were involved for over two years in getting it passed. And I think cities around the world, like even that example we started the, the um, you know show off with today of New York, we're paving the way for one another to do these things, to take these bold actions. And like you mentioned, you know, most of like population around the world lives in urban centers. So it's the same for Toronto and the changes we make have a ripple effect across Canada. So we we have this opportunity to really change things and I think it starts with just people having these conversations you have the power to change your counselor's mind and that quickly can change an entire council and it just sort of ripples out from there yeah and I think there's an uncanny valley issue as well too which um, anyway look google that reference if you don't get it but uh, the, what I mean is that like there's going to be a period um, like there's there's sort of institutional inertia maybe is another way to talk about it which is just that there's going to be a period where we make a bunch of policy decisions which are 
in direct conflict with one another because the entire system hasn't switched over yet and that's just going to be a thing um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight it and that doesn't mean we shouldn't push as hard as we can I'm not advocating apathy uh, but there, it's just that's just the, how things go um, so there, there are going to be a thing where we take three steps forward and, and two and a half steps back and then two more steps forward and, and there will be a transition period and I think we just sort of we shouldn't accept that in the sense that we shouldn't do anything but we should accept that is that if we see something like that that shouldn't necessarily be a sign of discouragement but just a sign of this sort of awkward transition period that we're in yeah uh, and so that's so can City save us uh, they can do a, they can do an awful lot let's go with that they whether or not certainly cannot do it alone uh, but you know I think with a, fa a fair amount of effective work and with with bolder strategies I think the answer could be at least sort of yes <laughs> sort of maybe sort yes. of maybe yes the green majority sort of maybe yes and that is our show yeah, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Green Majority on CAUT 89.5 FM uh, or all of our radio syndicates or on the podcast on greenmajority.ca. All the information will be on there. If you want to find out about tea or anything else, check it out. Thanks so much. Have a great, great, have a great green week, everybody. <laughs>